to On The Ledge podcast and this week we're going back to basics. The number of ways of giving your plants a drink are as diverse as the number of ways of pronouncing water, 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 or indeed water. My name's Jane Perrone and surprisingly I don't make a living from my voice acting, but I do love to tell you about houseplants. And trust and believe whether you're an absolute beginner or a seasoned grower, there will be some useful advice on giving your plants a drink in this week's show. I'm joined by guest Raphael Delalo, author of new book The Houseplant Warrior, a.k.a. Ohio Tropics. Plus, I answer a question about a pot-bound jade tree. Thanks to my new patrons this week. Grace, Liz, Ludwig and Claire all became legends and Nikki became a superfan. Where would I be without you Patreon subscribers? You are wonderful. If you don't like Patreon, then you can buy me a coffee. I like a latte, not in one of those tall glasses. I hate those tall glasses. Don't give me one of those. Latte with a teaspoon of turmeric and a couple of grinds of black pepper, please. <laughs> but seriously, if you go to the website, you'll find a link for co-fi.com where you can give a small one-off donation to keep the show going or a large donation if you are so equipped in the monetary sense. Like everybody else, it's been a week of feeling helpless looking at the headlines coming out of Ukraine. Shout out to any of my listeners in that part of the world or those with relatives there. I'm going to be making a donation to the UNHCR Ukraine Appeal. I'll also link in the show notes to an event that James Wong has organised at the Garden Museum. He's doing a talk on the 8th of March. That's next Tuesday as I speak, March 2022. Um, And you can live stream it or buy tickets to go in person. I'll put the link for that. All the money will go to UNICEF's Ukraine appeal. So that's a great cause and a former guest of the show who you can support in his fundraising efforts. Well, I hope this week's show will provide a bit of light relief, which God knows we all need. And perhaps you've been also enjoying the mindfulness of some seed sowing for the On The Ledge Sew Along. Let me just round up a few of the things you've been up to. Kev has been germinating hymanthus seeds. Those are the... um, what are they called? The paintbrush plant with the <laughs> succulent plant with those amazing paintbrush like flowers. They look really cool, Kev. And Morgan, a.k.a. Leafy Exotics, got in touch about the question about where to get Hoya seeds from last week's episode and says that Hoya Polynura seeds from Turn It Tropical, uh, an online firm. I've just checked and they're still in stock, which is strange as they're only £2.50. I shall try to track down a link for that and put it in the show notes. Thank you for drawing attention to that, Morgan. That's good to know. Over on Facebook, Sally has got some Alsobia dianthiflora. 
and found a seed pod while giving the plant a clean-up. So Sally plans to try to grow another Alsobia from seed for the sew-along and is going to send any extra seed to the Gesneriad Society Seed Bank. That's great, Sally. And Greg, over on Facebook, has got Cafea Arabica Castillo and Inga Foilii, the ice cream bean. I've never heard of that. I'm going to have to go and Google after that, but that sounds really interesting. Do keep on sharing your On The Ledge Sew Along successes and even failures. I need to go and check on my seeds that I sowed last week and see if there's any signs of life yet. (laughs) Always that exciting and potentially disappointing moment. But if you're not up to speed on the On The Ledge Sew Along, maybe this is your first ever listen. Well, welcome. Do go and check out the show notes for links to all the On The Ledge Sew Along episodes. It's just our way of growing houseplants from seed and having a heck load of fun at the same time. I also had a lovely email from Jennifer this week, who's recently discovered the show while trying to distract myself from overthinking and is delighted to find that the show is proving useful, but was saying that she hadn't heard much in the episodes she has listened to so far about how plant care is nurturing. And Jennifer writes, at one point when I was taking care of my mother-in-law who had dementia, I had 60 plus houseplants. I'm down to about 25 and working my way back up. I nurture the plants. They in turn give me purpose outside of work. Well, that is fantastic. I think we probably do have some episodes where we cover that kind of territory, but it's always good to hear that that is helping you. And something I think so many of us have discovered over the last couple of years. Whether you grab your plant water from the tap or put it through lengthy filtering processes, it's important that you know what you're doing when it comes to figuring out when and how to water. And so that's why we're going back to basics this week to have a look at how it's done. My guest this week is Ohio Tropics founder, Rafael DeLallo. So let's dive right in. Welcome, Raphael. Your new book, The House Plant Warrior, is currently on my desk and you've signed it. So thank you very much for my special new copy. There's lots of great advice in this book about watering. And we're going to start with the big granddaddy of all annoying houseplant misconceptions, which is the term overwatering. <laughs> That's a trigger word for me, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not say that I've never used that word before because clearly we all have used that word from time to time. Why do you find it so difficult? So I twitch when I hear that word. And like you said, I've used it a lot in the past, but I stopped using it. And there's there's several reasons that I don't like the word. So first of all, whenever whenever somebody has a plant problem, most people end up going to Google, right? Why is my insert, you know, plant here? Why is my peace lily having yellow leaves? Or why is my peace lily drooping? Or whatever the problem happens to be. And in most cases, of course, you know, there's there's a lot of different sources online, but in most cases, they'll often call out overwatering. And so the the problem with that is that's only one one of the the ways that plant problems can arise. But the real problem is that people will believe, a lot of people believe, you know, oh, I must have overwatered my plant, but without actually observing the state of their potting mix moisture. So they'll blindly believe it. 
the very first thing, if you're not actually observing if your potting mix is dry or wet, you can't say, oh my gosh, I overwatered. That's the first thing that, that I often bring up. So when someone comes to me and says they have a plant problem, the very first thing I, I ask them to do is, have you felt your soil or have you felt your potting mix? How does it feel? Is it dry or is it wet? What I like to tell people is don't use the word overwatering. I'd rather that you say, my soil stayed too wet or my soil stayed too dry. You know, describe the state of your potting mix because you actually observed it instead of made an assumption, oh, I must have overwatered. So that is critical. That is a critical first step. And then you can determine, oh, yes, it, it definitely stayed too wet or, oh, my gosh, it, it's been bone dry for a while. I must have neglected my plants. And another reason I don't like the word overwatering is because it creates an irrational fear of being able to water properly. And ironically, when people, a, a lot of times when people think they've overwatered, ironically, their, their potting mix is actually overly dry. And, and so it creates a fear of, of watering properly. So sometimes what people do is, especially even with succulents, they're so scared to water them properly that they'll measure out, you know, a teaspoon or a tablespoon. And so, you know, you're not going to water. So I ask them, well, do, do you care about all of your roots or do you just care about some of them? And, you know, even succulents need to be watered thoroughly. So if, if you're having a problem with your with your potting mix not drying out in a reasonable amount of time, because you do want to balance, you want some, some moisture retention, but you also want your potting mix to dry out in a reasonable amount of time. So if you're having issues with that, then you have to look at your other conditions. Maybe your lighting conditions are too low. Maybe your temperature is too cold. Maybe your pot is too large and you have too large of a volume of potting mix. You know, maybe you went from I know you're, you know, you're, you use the metric system. So I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll do a couple examples. Maybe in the U.S. we go from, maybe you went from a four inch diameter pot to a 10 inch diameter pot. That's much too big. Or I don't know what, what a standard metric um, size is. Maybe you went from, you know, a four centimeter um, diameter pot to a 20 centimeter diameter pot or something like that. So in that case, your soil is going to take a lot longer to dry out if, if you do, if you do something like that. So you have to be aware of your conditions and actually observe to see, is this really the case? I can't tell you how many times I've seen people on Facebook with, and it's always a variegated monster are cutting <laughs> and it's, and they're going why does it look so sad and they've potted it into admittedly a terracotta pot but it's about three times bigger than it needs to be yes. and they're just worried about why it looks so sad and it doesn't look like they've used a particularly good substrate either and you just think oh where do you start or somebody else i saw who'd who'd, who'd just obtained a load of cacti from somebody who had died uh, sadly, and their cactus collection, they'd rehomed them, which is a lovely thing to do. And they potted them all into an aquarium, like a, a terrarium. Oh. And I was just like, oh, I don't know where to start. Like you get that feeling of like, I've got to break down all of these misconceptions and start from scratch, which is, it's tricky, isn't it? There's so much co to yes. consider. And it's, it's, ve it's very tricky. And I guess this is why we go for that very simple or traditionally we've gone for that very simple. Well, it's overwatering because that's a lot more simple than the truth. 
<laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, when in fact, you know, you really have to ask a ton of questions to get down to what actually happened. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the potting mixes because, and also social media, because that, that's even more dangerous, I think, in social media, because, you know, someone might have a post, oh, why, what's happening with my variegated Sarah? Someone will just comment just one word, overwatering. You know, and then they take it as a fact, and that's really dangerous. Everybody's conditions are so different. But with potting mixes, I had I recently had a um, a couple people write to me, a couple of my readers saying, "Oh, with, with that exact plant, my Monstera deliciosa, it looked so good, and now it's it's lost several leaves. I don't know what's going on." I also like to ask for pictures when when people ask me about you know problems with their plants. Can you please send me a photo? So I can see, you know, in, and I often say in your growing environment, don't move the plant, take a picture of wherever your plant is growing so I can evaluate, you know, the light and anything, anything else that, that could help. And so this one gentleman sent me a photo of his variegated, or no, actually it was just a, just a species, the plain green, Monstera deliciosa, and it had two leaves left and it lost several leaves. So he sent me a picture and I looked at, at the photo and it was planted in a terracotta pot, which is fine, which is fine. But the potting mix was mostly bark mix. And I said, well, how often are you approximately, how often are you watering your plant? And I'm not, you know, I don't like to adhere to a strict watering schedule. I always say water when you need to feel your soil. And he said, oh, maybe every 10 days or so, sometimes longer. Well, if you're, pl- if you're planted in almost completely bark mix, you're probably going to have to water, and in a terracotta pot, you're probably going to have to end up watering every day or every other day because it's going to be drying out so quickly. So I, I, I recommended, you know, and, and I, I reiterated the fact you want some moisture retention, but at the same time, you do want it to dry out in a reasonable amount of time. So you can cater your potting mix to suit your conditions. And, you know, you have to feel your potting mix. You can't go over, you, you can have, you can go overboard in making a potting mix too chunky because then you're going to be watering all the time. You're basically going to have to be the Amazon rainforest, aren't you? You're <laughs> yes. have to be yes. just watering every day yes. as if you are in a rainforest, which is not within most of our schedules to accommodate Exactly. That. I wonder with this whole thing about people not, I think people, do people not want to get their hands dirty? I mean, I, my hands are filthy most of the time, so I don't really <laughs> care. But, but I wonder why people are so reluctant to put their hands into the soil and check what's going on. Because some people just seem to not want to do that. But as you say, that's how you find out what exactly what's going on, isn't it? Right, right. <laughs> I, I think it's just like you said, it's the, uh, the lazy, you know, as humans, we try to do the, the easiest or laziest thing. And someone says, overwater, oh, I must have overwatered. But, you know, you have to take the time to observe your plants. And I think that's what's missing. And, you know, when, when, when we have plant problems, we have to observe, we have to see, we have to feel and use all of our senses and, and see what we can determine from that. Exactly. And I think, you know, observation is key. But what are those warning signs? Are there things that just your eye can catch that immediately tells you it's time to water. Oh, absolutely. And I can think of probably the, the two most immediate things that you can, that you can see. Well, I'm sure actually there's more than that, 
But I would say one thing is if your plant is starting to droop. So, you know, you're not going to necessarily see this with succulents, with very succulent plants, but, you know, with plants like a peace lily or, you know, tropical foliage plants, a peace lily, or even a, what's another, um, uh, you know, begonias, peace lilies, even pothos, when they go super dry, they're going to start to wilt. And unfortunately, <laughs> if, if we assume that it's overwatering, then you're going to withhold water even more and you're going to end up making the problem worse. So drooping is one thing. And I always say, go ahead and feel your soil. As soon as you see a plant in distress, feel your soil, feel, feel the potting mix. How does it feel? You know, has it been sitting in water? Maybe it has been sitting in water in the saucer underneath or in the decorative pot that it's sitting in. Um, or, you know, maybe you don't have a drainage hole, which that's another issue. Um, but maybe it's bone dry, you know, so feel it, feel it and, and, and then decide, okay, well, what do I need to do? If it's bone dry, go ahead and water it immediately. Um, so the wilting is, is one thing. The other thing is when, when potting mist goes completely dry, for a while, you're going to get yellowing of the lower leaves. That's another signal for, for us to, that, that should trigger us to go ahead and feel our potting mix. Oftentimes, it's, it, that is the result of your potting mix going completely dry when the lower leaves turn yellow. But you have to confirm it. You have to feel your potting mix to really know. And even succulents, even succulents need to be watered properly. So succulents can also go under distress if you leave them alone for too long. So they too will develop yellow leaves at the base, but you won't know what you did until you actually feel your potting mix. And I'm, I, I am oversimplifying a little bit. There's a lot of other factors. Light is super important too, obviously, and, and all the other factors, but that's what I like to direct, direct plant parents to, to do as soon as they have a plant in distress, feel your potting mix. And I think some of the there are various apps out there that kind of give you and other and websites that sort of say, well, you need to water this plant with one cup of water every week or something that try to measure it. And I know some people do like what they consider to be a scientific approach. Well, I need to water it this much this often. And that method might work for a bit. But I think ultimately you fall down because as you say, conditions change, yes. light levels change, and that impacts the amount of water your plant is losing and therefore needing to, to draw up. Yeah, and, and that's another danger. So that's an excellent point because a lot of times I have, you know, my readers come to me and say, oh, what, what happened? I don't know what happened with this Hoya or this fern. I, was, I haven't changed a thing, and I was fine for so long, and then suddenly I have an issue. And I, I also talk about this in my, in my book as well. And, you know, even though we haven't changed a thing with our routine, your plant has. Your plant has grown. Your plant has probably become root bound. And so your watering schedule may have worked for a while, but eventually as your pot becomes full of roots, it's eventually going to fail. And, you know, I have a, I have a Thanksgiving cactus now that is horribly root bound. And I think, <laughs> I think I mentioned to you that I am a terrible procrastinator. And, you know, I, I often push things to the brink of disaster until I'm forced to do it. <laughs> but, you know, this poor plant is terribly root bound. And, you know, previously, 
the, the once a week watering cadence worked fine for me, but now that pot is terribly full of roots and I can't keep up with that. And I also have a Hoya that I've had for almost 20 years. And even, you know, my once a week watering schedule, let's say, for example, was working fine. But now since that pot is so full of roots, it's starting to, it's dehydrating very quickly. I'm getting some brown, you know, and yellow leaves because I've procrastinated repotting it into, into a larger pot. And so, you know, we, our plants change. And so we have to be flexible with our watering to compensate for that. And so even though we're not changing anything, our plants have. Yeah, that's, that's really, really true. Tell me though, what's, can you think of an example of the absolute most dire plant request the info request that you've had where something <laughs> somebody's messaged you and you've just looked at the picture and your heart has sunk because you think oh my gosh that's an x plant that there's no chop there's nothing i can say to save this plant <laughs> uh, well let's see and, and that's why i that's why i like to ask for pictures and it, it's funny because it can either go it can go either way when someone is exaggerating and says, oh my gosh, my plant's dying. And, you know, when I ask them to send a picture, there's one, you know, the very oldest, tiniest, you know, centimeter long leaf on, on one of their plants has turned yellow and the rest of it looks glorious. And I'll tell them, <laughs> Ditto. yeah, I'll, I'll tell them, well, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with your plant. You know what, maybe, did, you know, did you go too long without watering? You know, the, the oldest you know, the oldest leaves will, will be the first to go, but your plant looks fine. It's not dying. But, but like you said, sometimes, sometimes someone will say, Oh, can I save my plant? I, I think it's dying. I'm not sure. And um, one of the most humorous ones I think was I, I received a picture of a, of a moth orchid from somebody and it was completely infested with mealybugs and it looked like someone just dusted powdered sugar all over the entire plant. And so I just said, you know, it's not worth, sometimes it's not worth saving your plant. Just chuck it, you know? Mm. (laughs) So I, I know that's not related to watering, but that's why I like to ask for pictures. That's the stuff of nightmares covered in mealybugs. Oh my gosh, that sounds horrendous. (laughs) Well, let's return to water because again, you know, it's easy to think, well, well overwatering is the cause of all ills. But people also get very tied up in knots about sometimes about what kind of water to use. And you've got the sort of the tap water camp who are like, oh, yes, I water everything with tap water. It's fine. And then you've got people who are like, it must be reverse osmosis, specially filtered, you know, 1921 vintage water from a special well that you can only reach by a two-day walk (laughs) what are the rules for choosing what water to actually i would say you know unless you live in a super polluted area with acid rain or something like that i mean just look to nature i mean rainwater is probably the best water that that you can use for your plants now saying that do i use rainwater no because i procrastinate and I've had some rain barrels sitting outside that I haven't installed after years. So maybe this year will be the year. But rainwater probably is the best thing that you can use. I'm lazy and I use tap water for pretty much everything. Although um, 
I'm getting it. Did I tell you I'm getting a greenhouse this spring? Yes. And yes. So I'm going to, I'm going to try and set up my rain barrels and have a, a, a different system for that. Um, but if you can use rainwater, go ahead. That's probably the best. Um, if you are using reverse osmosis water or distilled water, I think what we have to remember is that, you know, it's, it's distilled water, uh, first of all, is the purest form of water. I'm going back to my, my chemical engineering days. Um, so by distilling water, it, it's an ultra pure, ultra pure water. Um, it's the most pure form. And we have to remember that we, we have to fertilize every so often because it's devoid of any, of any nutrients because it's so pure. Um, so if you're using RO or distilled, we do have to make sure that we are fertilizing. Otherwise, you know, our plants will probably suffer from nutrient deficiencies over time. Um, but, you know, it, it all depends on what, how much effort you want to put in, um, you know, how hard your water is. You know, if you live in a, in a really hard water area, and but but the fact is that you know most plants are pretty most plants that we grow indoors commonly are pretty pretty resilient and i would say in, for most plants tap water is fine you know you i've been using i've been, that's what i use for most of my plants can i do better sure i can and are there some plants that are sensitive to hard water sure absolutely um you know calatheas are or gopersha, however you say the genus now, I know I, I can't keep track of all the reclassifications, <laughs> right? They are notoriously sensitive to, to hard water. And so a lot of people I know use distilled water for that, you know, with better results so that you don't get the crispy edges that, that they're prone to getting. Some plants are sensitive to fluoride, supposedly in, in tap water. I think peace lilies and spider plants fall into that, into that category. So, you know, just observe your plants, see how they're doing. But, but we also have to be careful that we're not blaming everything on going back to overwatering or, you know, watering properly. Are you watering properly? Are you thoroughly soaking your soil and allowing it to dry out in a reasonable amount of time for that specific plant? So if you're, if you're watering properly and you have consistent conditions, then you know, we can't change too many things at once. We have to know what's going on so that we can see the effect of, you know, is it the water that's causing the issue or is it the, is it my, my watering method that's causing the issue? We, we can't change too many things at once. Um, we have to diagnose and change one thing at a time to really determine, is it really, you know, the water type that I'm using that's causing, causing this or are there a bunch of other things going on? <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think uh, it's like an elimination diet. You know, you need to kind of change if, change things gradually and then see what's what's actually causing the exactly improvement or the decline or whatever. Now, I love a vintage watering can. I have several, but I don't know <laughs> that I use them a tremendous amount. <laughs> I mean, I think I'd like to think that a watering can is the best way of watering just so I can get my money's worth. But actually, how, how do you water and do you do you like to use Depending on how much time I have, if I have a lot of time and, you know, I don't have anything on my schedule, I like to take my plants to to the sink or to a bathtub and I will use my watering can in, in that case because I, you know, I'll measure my fertilizer in my watering can and the water amount and all that. And so I'll water things thoroughly in, in the sink, for example. 
let it drain, and then I'll carry the plant back to its window. If, you know, if I have a large plant that I can't move, or I'm not going to go move my, you know, six foot tall monstera that's in my living room. Um, so I'll just water that in place with a watering can. Sometimes, actually, I shouldn't say sometimes I do this quite a lot. I'll take my plants to the shower and, you know, I, <laughs> I try to take one plant a day to the shower with me. And when I do that, I'll rinse off the leaves, rinse off all the foliage, all the, you know, dust that's accumulated over time. And I'll also water, you know, give it a, give my plant an opportunity to be soaked and watered thoroughly and then let it drain out and put it back to the window. Um, so I, I do different methods. I do use a watering can for the most part, you know, to, to water my plants. The thing I mo- use most often when I'm doing sort of watering is in a rush as I normally am, as opposed to sort of a nice, oh, I'm going to have a plant morning and doing it all very carefully, is uh, we get milk delivered in milk bot- glass milk bottles. And so the empty milk bottles, which have got a little tiny residue of milk, get taken out to the garden, filled up with the rainwater from the water butts, which I have to say, you're going to love it once you've got those water butts in. You can- I can't wait. <laughs> it's really, it's so good. Um, I fill them up with that and I bring them inside and they sit in my sunroom, which has underfloor heating. So they kind of gradually oh. warm up to room temperature and then they can, uh, and then I add anything that I want to add in, in terms of nutrients, uh, if it's, if needed, and then they just get used up and then they get put out to be, um, taken away and sterilized, ready for the next lot of milk. So it works quite well. Actually. I love that. I have heard that, you know, plants don't mind a little bit of milk. I don't purposely give them milk, but there just happens to be a bit <laughs> left in the bottle. So it seems to work, but, um, I've got the the only thing you have to watch out for with the water butt is the time when the tap gets blocked, which inevitably it does. And I've got to do this to one of mine soon. You have to go out in your oldest clothes. (laughs) You've got to basically the water out, but also try to unblock the tap. And it always ends up with you getting soaked in (laughs) goop from... (laughs) (laughs) from the water butt and yeah it's very smelly so just a warning about that it will happen thank you (laughs) but i do love being able to use the we're on water meters here so um it means that you know people are more conscious about their water use which i guess is good and uh, so that's that's a good thing that i can use my water butt water it gets a little bit dicey in the summer when i'm using them to water the garden um so the other thing I was just going to mention in terms of water, which I have mentioned on the show before, and subsequently the company that uh, produced this water filter actually sent me one for free. So hashtag gifted here at this point. <laughs> but I've got one of these zero water filters. I don't know if you've come across oh. these. So I don't drink the water out of it because tap water is perfectly fine. But I do use it to make water that I use on my carnivorous plants in the event of my water butts running dry. But I also use that water when I'm filling up a mister for a, a plant treatment, like, I don't know, an insecticidal soap or anything like that. I use that water because it doesn't leave any marks on the leaves because it is just, it has 0% total dissolved solids once it's gone through this Oh, that's filter. wonderful. So that's actually quite useful. So, I mean, I, you know, they sent me a free one, but I'd be totally honest if I didn't think it was any good. The only funny thing was I kept thinking, oh, this spout on this jug is so rubbish. It's really awkward to pour it. <laughs> and then I realized literally after about two months, because I was also using it to put in my iron when I was ironing so that that didn't get all scaled up. 
I realised that on the back at the bottom, there's actually a spigot. So you can... Oh. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, damn. Now I realise <laughs> where I was going wrong. So there we go. Right. <laughs> I'll have to look at that. And you, you brought up a good point about carnivorous plants. They need that ultra pure water. Um, that's another another one. With it, you get a little detector which tells you what the total dissolved solids oh, wow. are, which actually is very useful because you can then test your tap water. So, yeah, it's a useful little thing. Back with Raphael shortly, but now it's time for Question of the Week which comes from Cynthia and regards an old jade plant. Cynthia's in Vermont in the US and acquired this large tree at the end of summer last year. It's in a big ceramic pot, but Cynthia's noticed that the soil is super hard and suspects the plant is probably quite pot bound. Cynthia is a little bit terrified of repotting the jade. So what should happen now. I feel your fear, Cynthia, and I can totally appreciate how you are feeling. I think the headline news is that if you just leave that jade in that same pot, it'll probably be fine. It probably won't suddenly die. It will just go on eking out its existence as it has done for the past gosh knows how many years. So try not to worry too much. There are a couple of things that you could do if you want to keep it in that pot to give it a hand. Get a knitting needle or a kebab stick or something like that and just poke some holes into that rock hard soil if you can. You might have to put a bit of welly into it, as we say here in the UK. Get some holes poked into that soil. That will help because it will just help water to percolate through because when soil gets very dry, it gets hydrophobic. So it starts to repel water rather than absorbing it. So by adding some extra holes, that will just help the water to sit in the soil a bit better and get absorbed. You may have to soak it several times in order to get rid of that hydrophobic uh, nature of the soil. Once you've done that, the other thing you can do, and looking at your plant, it, this is going to be tricky. You might need a teaspoon to do it, but scrape away some of the top layer of that potting mix and replace it with fresh. Don't go down too far so that you're affecting the roots, but just a top dressing of fresh compost can help if you're not planning to repot. Looking at the jade, Cynthia, I think it's doing okay, but it's not super, super, super healthy. So I think in spring, I would think about repotting. It's going to be a battle to get it out of that pot. If you can get an old pallet knife around the side to kind of ease it out, that would definitely help. Worst case scenario is you have to break the pot to get it out, I'm afraid. And it looks like it's a multi stemmed plant that may be because it's quite a few different cuttings all planted in the same pot it may not come from one individual source so then you have to make a decision about whether you want to put it all back into a single pot or whether you want to divide it up you need to do a careful examination of what you've got once you've got it out the pot and take it from there when you've got it out of the pot, I would also, if the soil is really hard and probably exhausted of nutrients, it's probably worth trying to wash off all the old soil and completely replace it 
so that you've got something that hopefully is going to last and do well for the next few years. Obviously, this is going to be a big, heavy plant if you keep it as one. So it does need to go into another big, heavy pot, most likely. Make sure there's plenty of drainage and that the substrate is, you know, 30 to 50 percent drainage material because that will just help the plant to thrive. I find that jades like a slightly more moisture retentive soil than some cacti and succulents. So I tend to go about a third drainage material to two thirds houseplant compost. Just make sure you replant it at the same level so you don't bury the stems deeper than they were before. And hopefully it should recover quite well. These plants are really, really tough. If you want an insurance policy, then do take a few cuttings, give it a prune at the same time. That will be no bad thing. It's always a bit scary when we deal with old plants like this, but I'd be a lot less worried about repotting this jade for example than I would be personally about repotting uh, a giant Boston fern or something because they are they're, they're they're tough they're just tough plants that's why they get to this size and why you see them uh, in takeaway windows and so forth because they are super tough obviously the, there are other reasons why you see them in takeaway windows um, as you will find out if you read my book Legends of the Leaf plug 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 there's a whole chapter on this plant and it's really fascinating the symbolism of those leaves in Chinese culture and there's loads of interesting stuff to say about this plant so yeah it's a good one and I hope you manage to get it looking as healthy as possible Cynthia whether you decide to repot or not I'll put a picture of the plant in the show notes if anyone wants to have a look and add their tuppence to the discussion Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Thank you to everyone who has signed up for The Plant Ledger, my new email on the UK houseplant scene. It's been great to have so many subscribers ahead of the first edition, which comes out on Friday, March the 11th, 2022. If you're a small planty business and you're interested in advertising, do let me know. It's been going like hotcakes for the first few editions which is fantastic and if you want more information please drop me a line about that link in the show notes to sign up this is specifically for the uk houseplant scene i mean anyone can sign up but uh, you know you might not be able to attend a particular event if you happen to be intercontinental I'm really excited about this newsletter because I don't think anyone else is offering this. It's going to be all that news condensed into one newsletter that you need to read. So everything from like, oh, there's a job going at this shop to this shop is having a special propagation event to this online shop has got an amazing discount code this month to, oh, did you hear about the release of this new plant? And I think it's going to be fun. I really hope you subscribe. I mean, what have you got to lose? It's going to be free. It's always going to be free to read and funded by advertising coming out a maximum of once a week. But initially, it'll just be fortnightly. So check out the plant ledger now. You can go to janeperone.com forward slash ledger to find out more.
Now it's back to my chat with Raphael Delallo. Now, I want to talk to you about another term that sends me loopy, which is butt chugging. <laughs> butt chugging. Please, can we talk about this? Yes. What a what an appalling term. And it's <laughs> it's funny because when you first mentioned that, it, it's hilarious because someone else commented, I think, on one of my Instagram reels. And I, I think he, he reposted one of my reels. And I was talking about top watering versus bottom watering. And he reposted it and he said, for all you butt chuggers out there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I had heard that term before. So it's, it's kind of funny, but I'm appalled by it at the same time. So, and I think in the end, it is, it's a personal decision. But uh, personally, for me, I top water because I don't have the time to bottom water all these plants. It's so much quicker to top water, but it's fine. It's fine to, to bottom water. However, there is one thing in particular to be, to be aware of if you, if you bottom water. You know, if you're constantly bottom watering, letting your plant soak up everything through, through the drainage hole, and let's say, and you're using tap water and fertilizing, over time, all those excess minerals and salts have nowhere to go. They get absorbed by your potting mix. And so that can, you can burn your roots eventually that way. So if you bottom water, Often, I, I always recommend that you top water every so often, maybe once, once a month, once every couple months, to flush out any excess salts or minerals. And it's, it might be even best to use something like, you know, a, a filtered water, like you just mentioned, Jane, or, you know, distilled water. I mean, you can even just use plain tap water and, and just run, run everything through, just flush out any excess salts. So that's probably the the one thing to to really be careful of if you if you like to bottom water if you're if you if you're a butt chugger (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i think in a way there's a sort of a i kind of do a bit of a hybrid in that i tend to most of the time i'm literally you know with my milk bottle chucking some water on things but oftentimes (laughs) if i'm going a little bit more time consuming then i will just get my trusty plastic washing up bowl and i will be stick some plants in there and I'll just run water through the top and then let it sit in the bottom and let them absorb because when you've got a clear plastic pot I'm sure you've noticed this as well if you water and you can see what's going on with the actual soil through that clear pot you can see that oftentimes you can water from the top and it doesn't necessarily immediately get soaked up there's lots of dry soil still in there so I kind of mine's a sort of a hybrid that hopefully covers both bits there's a couple instances uh, that just triggered my memory on when bottom watering actually becomes extremely useful. Uh, one of them is, so I used to have, uh, it, it's, it's no longer the case now, but I have an echeveria that the crown was so dense that I couldn't even fit a watering can to water it. And so um, I would bottom water that, that plant. So that becomes you know, very useful in cases like that where where you're, if your plant's too thick and you're, you're, the foliage, there's so much foliage, you can't even fit in a watering can. That comes in handy. And then another, another time that bottom watering is very handy is if your potting mix has gone so bone dry that it starts to repel water, you know, and, and you're watering and the, it, it just streams straight through, the, the potting mix doesn't even absorb anything. Materials like peat moss will become hydrophobic over time and they actually repel water once they go too dry. 
And so you'll either have to top water several times in a row or let it sit and, and, you know, let the pot sit in water and let it drink up over, you know, the course of a few hours. And so gradually it'll re-moisten the potting mix and then you can take it out. Um, so those are the two cases that I find bottom watering extremely helpful. I mean, this sounds like a sort of um, one of those documentaries on one of those dodgy TV channels when watering goes <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yes. Now, I um, have been on the whole horrified by the homespun remedies to the problem of a soggy plant, including using tampons to dry. Have you seen this? <laughs> I mean... Like, oh my god! I mean, there's people in the women in the world who can't get hold of tampons. It just seems like a terrible waste to be using them to dry out plants. Surely there's a better way than that to sort out your soggy plant. Please, Raffaele, can you give me some tips? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you have to look at all of your conditions. For example, you know, I, I grow a lot of my plants in, in plastic nursery pots and then I slip it into, you know, a decorative pot. Um, that does not have a drainage hole. Obviously, the plastic pot that the plant growing in um, does have a drainage hole. But sometimes, you know, I, sometimes I get lazy and I, I water things in place. So sometimes it could just be as simple as that. You know, maybe it's just sitting in water. Go and dump it. You know, dump out the saucer. Dump out the extra water in the decorative pot. And another important consideration is, are you providing your plant with enough light? Or is it sitting in a dark corner? Because if it's sitting in a dark corner, your plant's not going to use your water efficiently. Um, and what, what else? The overpotting thing, you know, if, you, if you've gone from a tiny pot to this, this ginormous pot, you know, that, that's an issue because your soil is not going to dry out in a reasonable amount of time. So you might have to reevaluate the size of your pot too. You know, maybe it's in a pot that's too big um, and maybe you need to increase your light. And in most cases, when people think that they they have root rot. That's another that's another one of my pet peeves. People automatically go to root rot without even observing the roots. So did you actually? And and honestly, as as silly as that sounds, it's I I've run into it with with you know in, in a lot of cases. Have you actually observed the roots? Are they in fact mushy and rotted and stinky? You know that. If, it, you know, if you can answer yes to that, then yes, you do have root rot. But in a lot of cases, people automatically go to overwatering and they automatically say, oh, it's root rot. But you have to observe your roots first. So if you have root rot, if you do indeed have root rot, then it, you know, it might be beneficial to take your plant out of its pot and trim off any, any dead roots put it, you know, you may need to maybe to put it in a smaller pot if you've, if you've had it in a, in a huge pot beforehand, maybe that contributed to the issue. And make sure you're giving your plant good conditions, warm temperatures, enough light, a well-draining potting mix. And, you know, maybe it will recover over time if it's not too late. Oftentimes now, the range um, and difficulty of the plants we're trying to grow that we perhaps are seeing on Instagram and thinking I must have that means that in a way, we're setting ourselves up for failure. I mean, I'm sure lots of people, you know, see these beautiful prayer plants on Instagram and then go to the big box store and see them and they just can't resist them. <laughs> Whereas if somebody says to me, what's a good starter plant? I would not be naming any kind of prayer plant, right? <laughs> no, I uh, know. Absolutely. Any kind of calathea, uh, you know, any anything in the prayer 
prayer plant family, even plants like, you know, alocasias, they're gorgeous. But like you said, on social media, it can be very deceiving because we see pictures of, of these gigantic plants, you know, people holding these gigantic plants that are filling up the whole, the whole photo and, you know, making, um, dwarfing the size of their head because they're, the plant is so big. But, you know, these plants were probably not grown inside of, of a home with average conditions. They, they probably came straight from a greenhouse and, you know, someone took a picture of it. So, so it in their home and, or they, maybe they just brought the plant home. And it was the first day that they had the plant. <laughs> so, you know, it's deceiving. It, it's very deceiving. It's, you know, when, when we see photos like that. So we have to, we have to really realize, okay, th- this probably didn't grow inside for a plant to look like this. It, it was not just sitting in an average home. It was probably grown in a greenhouse. So we, we, it helps us to, you know, we have to keep it real. We have to realize that, you know, Plants, most plants are not going to look like that if, if grown in a, a, a little window inside of our home. <laughs> well, Raffaello, thank you very much for keeping it real. And I'm uh, looking forward to seeing how your new book, House Plant Warrior, does. Just remind us where we can find you on the socials for anyone who wants to find out more. Yes. Uh, so I'm very active on Instagram. My handle is Ohio Tropics, one word. So O H I O. Tropics, and I'm most active there. I am also on YouTube. I'm trying to do more videos. I haven't gotten my act together yet. Um, also, Ohio Tropics uh, Houseplant Care. I am on Facebook as well. If, if you just search for Ohio Tropics Houseplant Care, and I'm very active on my blog, OhioTropics.com, and I constantly write articles on plant care. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a delight. Thank you, Jane. And that, as they say, is your lot for this week. Thank you to my guest, Raphael, this week. Check out the show notes for details of his socials and his book, Houseplant Warrior. Want to do this again next Friday? Fab. I'll see you then. Bye. The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, an instrument the boy called Happy Day Gokana by Samuel Corwin, and Whistle by Benjamin Banger. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. See the show notes for details. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 